You are listening to the After the Timeout podcast, hosted by Todd Zazadil and John Palicki, two high school head coaches looking to help others spread their passion for the game of basketball. Tune in for episodes about anything basketball related, on the court, off the court, and anything in between. All right, today we're joined by Carrie Redecker, who is the head women's basketball coach at Illinois Central College. Coach, how are you doing today? Thank you for joining us. I'm doing great. Excited to be here and uh, be a part of your podcast. So thanks for the opportunity. Thank you. So we wanted to start off with, you know, I watched Todd and I always do our homework on our guests and, and we both, when we researched you, you know, found out that you're a breast cancer uh, survivor. I loved when you said that um, you don't have it, you're beating breast cancer. Um, so kind of take us through your journey of coaching and fighting cancer at the same time. Um, yeah, it was, um, it goes back to the beginning of 2018 on the very first day, uh, on new year's day, I had posted on my Instagram account, um, a Bible verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, that said, for, I know the plans I have for you, uh, plans to prosper you and give you uh, blessings in a future. And I had um, said, you know, man, I want to have, I want to be blessed in 2018. I feel like I've been really lucky with uh, basketball and, and my career. And so I was hoping for blessings. Well, in the middle of uh, the biggest time of our season, we had gotten a, a national tournament bid and we were all excited and I got this cancer diagnosis. And so um, being a coach, you know, I, I found out probably, uh, 15 minutes before practice that I had cancer. Well, I went into practice, ran the practice, like, you know, no other problems and just realized the way basketball had impacted me that I tried to put my focus into our team instead of the cancer diagnosis. And it, the, the diagnosis was a thing for a year, but our team is what really got me through, through that experience. So then let's kind of go into, you know, I, I saw that you really talked about, I think it was the Illinois Cancer Center. Um, mm-hmm. And then there, there was some foundations you work with. So kind of take us through, you know, is there anything that our listeners should know about, you know, places they could donate or help or, you know, work through to support your cancer foundations? Well, yeah, I, I did not know very much about cancer or, or anything like that before it started. And, um, you know, doctors are a lot like coaches. They give you a game plan um, to, to how to follow this. And sometimes the one thing for me was that our, the doctors that I had, never made me wonder if I was going to beat it or not. Um, they, they said, here's your plan and here's how we're going to follow it. So um, I really got my, my uh, surgery was at Methodist Hospital in downtown Peoria, but I did all of my treatments out at the Illinois Cancer Care, which there's several facilities in the Midwest here in the Peoria area, Bloomington, Pekin areas. And so um, I thought I was too busy for, for um, extra work, like, uh, you know, coaches at the IBCA or for, um, you know, the Illinois Cancer Care, I'm on the board with that. But when a place saves your life, uh, you decide that, that you make the decision that you're going to go ahead and be a part of that. So their mission obviously is to help people through their, through their experiences, no matter how that ends up. And so um, what was interesting is our team um, during, when I was going through the battle, I just kind of thought like, how can we how can we impact other people with 
playing basketball and with our with uh, donations. And so we I talked with our team and we decided that we would um, get donations for three pointers and for charges taken. And we took donations for that. We ended up raising like $6,000 for the Illinois cancer care that we donated, got a blanket warmer for the, the chemotherapy uh, pod that I took, did my chemos in. And um, their mission, is, like I said, is to help different people. And so um, I wanted to be a part of that and, and uh, we've raised money. So Illinois cancer care is probably my big one. Um, we also did the Susan G. Komen foundation. Um, and then our team started the stronger together campaign, which we've also accepted donations for the American cancer society. So those would be my top three. Um, the one thing I've learned about breast cancer is it's, it's probably the most publicized um, of, of the cancers. And it has a lot of research as opposed to other cancers um, that don't have as much research. And so, you know, the NFL wears pink and, you know, everybody has a breast cancer awareness game and things like that. So I was really, really lucky to have gotten something that has so much research for it. Um, but I've also tried to highlight, or we've also tried to highlight other cancers that need that, need that research and need that funding. So what was, uh, would we get more money for the charges or the three pointers that year? Um, we had, it was really interesting. Uh, our team that year, I was worried when I first got diagnosed, how am I ever going to coach? And, and it's, our staff did a great job. Our team did a great job. Ended up having one of the best seasons that I've ever had as a coach. Uh, we went on a 32 game winning streak. We were ranked number one in the nation. And here I was worried about, you know, are they going to be able to handle it? And our team that year had um, come up with the theme stronger together before the season. And um, they had said they had seen from before how when our kids came together, then we, we ended up having a we got a fifth place national finish. And so that the stronger together became our theme. Well, I little did I know that that would also become my cancer theme um, and, and fighting cancer theme so that, you know, it wasn't wasn't just me fighting um, and, and people came out of the woodworks to come to our games like that, you know, college friends that I hadn't seen for a while would just appear uh, at one of our games. And I was, you know, <laughs> like, man, I haven't seen you for three years. And they, you know, they came out of the woodworks and so woodwork. And so it's just interesting to have um, all that support, but we, um, our kids, they, you know, they don't have money to, to donate, but they're like, Oh, I can make three pointers. So they, uh, we did get, I think we had, uh, how many we had about 173s that year um, and then we took about 25 charges and um, so good. it Pretty was good. yeah it was they bought into that part and then they felt a part of that and then it was about a, um, a year later that we ended up um, taking the pictures for the the uh, blanket warmer and then just spreading awareness we got t-shirts printed up and and things like that so it was it was really a special time for our team um, and and they had it all under control the entire time I just had to show up. Uh, that that's that's amazing that's awesome anything we can ever do to help you just you just let us know and we will Absolutely. do what will what limited uh people listen to us you know whatever uh we will we will get it out there uh so let's go let's move into like this year um we've we've talked to every coach about this year and you know as the season closes i think people get a little bit more perspective and it, and it goes I, I know uh you guys were just playing up until last night um so you guys have been you know, still going into it. Um, but, you know, maybe tell us a little about your program, not only this year, but just in general. And, and you know, some of the things that have gone in this year to continue to play and, and try to have a successful season. 
Yeah, I'm really lucky to be at ICC. Um, the, we've had the program since 1969 and we're one of the winningest junior college women's basketball programs in the nation. We have six national championships. We have over 1300 wins and I've been there for eight years. And um, it's just been a, a great place to be, a great place to recruit to, um, a lot of, lot of great talent in this area. And um, so last year at this time, we had just lost in the region championship, similar to what we did yesterday. And um, the, the things started shutting down and we weren't really quite sure um, what was all happening. Well, the interesting thing was we didn't have, or just like everybody else, didn't have a postseason, didn't have summer basketball that we could, we could have time to get to know each other. We have a summer league in the summer uh, with high school varsity teams. So we didn't have any of that, just like everyone else. And then when the fall came, the, the day before our kids came onto campus, our administration made the decision that we, we wouldn't be allowed to have any scrimmages, but we would be able to practice. So we, the NJCAA said that we had, we could have 70 practices um, in the fall, but we could not have any outside scrimmages. Couldn't get to practice until 30 minutes before, had to leave the gym after 30 minutes. And so we, we couldn't do any off-campus meetings. So we had to do some Zoom things. Probably like most teams, we got put into quarantine once. Um, but then once our games were able to start, which was this at the end of January, this past spring, you know, then we kind of got moving and shaking, which was was awesome. And um, I, I heard one coach say that this has been the, the longest, shortest season ever. So we've been preparing for August since August 31st. And our kids have been playing, you know, for eight months of the year with their one team. So that's been, you know, there's been blessings in that, but it's also been really long for them. You know, most, most of our kids or a lot of our kids are two or three sport athletes. So in this time that they've just been playing basketball since August, if they were in high school, they would have been, you know, they've already had a volleyball season, a basketball season, and they'd be in the middle of track or softball. So I give our kids a lot of credit for that. Um, and obviously basketball was what got them through because we're still on online at ICC. It's either online schedule classes or online anytime classes. And um, so our kids came to, to campus. Most of them stay in an apartment that they have to pay for and sit and watch classes online or do them on online anytime and then come to the gym for practice. So basketball has been uh, their saving grace. It's been my saving grace uh, when they've come there. Sometimes that's the only people they've interacted with because they've been in their apartment for all morning doing homework um we our library is not open so they if we do we do study halls on zoom um so we've had to work we we're talking you know we've had to work around some of that but um you know I, I give our kids a lot of credit but it is it is amazing the impact that being on a team and being you know basketball to me has has been a saving grace for for a lot of our kids and and for me as well I'm I'm not great at working from home I'm not good at sitting. And so, you know, getting into the office, being able to be back, we, I'm thankful for that. We were able to get back at the end of August. And then we did have practices. We did have workouts. So I'm super thankful for that because I'm not great at sitting at a computer <laughs> all, all day long. That is not a strength. Uh, Todd and I can relate, uh, as we kind of told you off the air, this is kind of why we started this because we had missed basketball so much. We were looking for a way to get back involved in the game. Um, you had mentioned earlier your, you know, your work with the IBCA. I, I myself am an assistant director in Division One. Um, I'm a Hall of Fame voter, and, and I'm very passionate about the IBCA and the growth. Um, but I, I did notice, along with multiple phenomenal women's basketball coaches in the state of Illinois, I believe most of them were high school coaches. You know, you formed the women's basketball committee, and and Todd and I are both major advocates of women's basketball. 
Uh, Todd and I have both coached on the women's side at the JUCO and the high school level and the division three level. So, you know, how do we continue to grow the game in Illinois for the women's side? How do we continue to promote more women in coaching, more marketing of the, the girls and women's game? How do we help grow the game? Yeah, I think um, we have to, it starts with, with coaches. It starts at a younger age. Um, we have to empower young women. We have to give them role models. Growing up, you know, there was, for me, there was never women's basketball on. I had heard of Cheryl Miller at USC, and that was probably, it's probably about the only player that I can, um, that I can name from my, from my high school days that I really knew. And so I think we have to get, we have to invite young girls to high school games, to junior college games, you know, anybody that comes to our games, with the exception of this past year, they can sit five rows from the bench. They can come into our locker room. You know, I think getting kids, giving kids role models um, is super important. Um, and then, you know, you like, yes, most games that I have, um, you know, there's male officials and, you know, it's, it's a women's basketball sport. And a lot of times I'm the minority uh, of the people, I guess, in charge. The other coach is usually a male and that's no knock on, on men because there's a lot of appreciative of them helping. And most of the time the officials are male. So it's for me, I talk with our kids a lot about um, the positions that we are in. We are seen as the weaker sex. We are seen as, you know, we can't, dunk we can't do different things but um i think making the game appealing because basketball is a difficult sport you know you you've got to be in great shape um there's it's physical and that's that's sometimes a turnoff to some kids you know other sports are easier but definitely um supporting each other like the after the women's ncaa tournament you know the 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 tiktoks that are going about going on and, and all the all the um promotion and just the exposing of the good and the bad, you know, um, having a game on ABC for the first time this year was amazing. But, you know, I think national networks obviously have the, the power to do things, but within our own state, I think the IBCA and we're, we're trying to work on, I know Terry Rogers from uh, Nutrier's got, um, she's got the grow the game. And so now I'm talking with another um, coach, Karen Wiley up at McHenry, like, can we do something like that at the junior college level um, where we're, we're trying to have have a uh, grow the game experience and, and getting younger people involved but then also it takes you know guys like you it, it can't just be all women promoting that but you know our players our staff we need to support other women's programs and then there's going to be some people that are completely turned off you know there's the, the haters on twitter that oh well the women can't do this there's people that we aren't going to bring to our side and that's fine but um dads with daughters are the are the best advocates obviously because they've grown up in a male world and you know they know friday night lights and you know the homecoming games they know that but it those things aren't happening for women so i think the more that we can get people on board um is 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 paramount to that so it's good transition here so we talked about you know uh enjoying the game and making it an exciting exciting game we talked with coach tracy last last week i think you know about the ending of the gonzaga ucla game jalen suggs hits that shot but it came up in the conversation how uh you know it was our timeout question do you take a timeout there do you let it play but it came up in the conversation how uh, you know in in the women's game uh you know from the night before you could have taken a timeout because the rules were different they match up in the women's game to more 
but everybody in the world plays basketball wise, right? Um, you know, how, how you have those changes improved the game? Um, you know, since they've been implemented, I believe it was you know, about four or five years ago. Um, and then are there still some things you'd like to see changed as far as uh, uh, implementing di different rules and things that can make the game not, not better, but, you know, make it, you know, make it more exciting uh, all the way around for all levels, both women and men? I think the changes that the women that we've put into the women's game have been amazing. Um, I, when I watch men's games and they're in the bonus at, at the 11 minute mark, and then they, it's just a free throw. It, it's so slow um, and draggy. So I, I wasn't hundred percent sure about that before we started it, but I love it now. Um, you know, we got our, I think we got one timeout taken away, which is fine. Cause you have the extra one at the end of the first quarter and the end of the third quarter. Um, but it's, I think it, it's progressed, you know, it's, it's like the, the WNBA, it's like the NBA, and I think the men's side needs to do it. Um, the, the advancing rule has, has been awesome as well, because it, it's completely changed the game. There's, you don't see as many Christian Leitner, uh, you know, Duke 1992 passes that in the women's game, because and it's more strategy and, um, you know, automatically the one thing that I'm not sure about is you know we get the if we get five fouls it's an automatic two foul shots there's no one and one I do kind of like the intrigue of the one and one for the men's game that you know kind of puts a little more pressure on that first one for the men's shooter but um, I think the the changes that we've made has really have really sped up the game you know with the quarters and then the the resetting of the fouls every quarter that's been awesome too because then you you know you're not getting drugged down like I said in those in those moments so um, I think that, that that has really added to the excitement and the speed um, of the game. So I've, I've loved them for sure. Sim similarly, um, I'm sure you saw, you've obviously coached high school as well, but the IHSA uh, for one of the first times sent out a, a survey to their coaches about having some of those rules, which really hadn't, nothing like that had come out from the IHSA, you know, that's usually tweak this uniform rule or do, do that. Um, so how do you, how would you feel about some of those rules at the high school level? Um, you know, and then obviously the controversial one is the shot clock, right? So um, both, yeah. both of those kind of things. Um, I, I mean, it would be obviously easier to institute the advancing rule because uh, there's nothing other than strategy for that. So I would, I think that would be a good thing um, for, for high school teams. You know, they already have the quarters. Could they look at resetting fouls uh, at the beginning of a quarter? I think that would definitely speed it up as well. Um, and then for the shot clock, you know, the, the cost I think is, seems to be the biggest thing that's inhibiting that. Um, and then obviously people to, to run them, you know, that's an extra person that you have to have to have at the bench. But, um, you know, I've watched a lot of high school girls games and, and I think you, you have to be careful that you don't want to speed them up too fast, that it's sloppy. So I don't know if a 30 second clock would be great for them. Um, probably maybe a third or even boys or girls, maybe a 35 or a 40, um, would work because I know when I've, it, it seems, it seems to happen every year. Um, where you'll look at the IHSA and it seems to happen more in boys, I think, than girls. But you look at the, the IHSA score zone and the, the, uh, the score will be 22 to 24. And it'll be one team that wasn't really maybe as talented and they've slowed it down and, and held the ball at half court. And, you know, those not I don't know, is that truly winning when you do that? It is on the scoreboard. But um, I think obviously having a shot clock would would help in that situation. So. I'd be all for those if, if 
schools can afford it. And of course, now with the different budgets and different things, that's probably the last thing that athletic directors and administrations want to be spending money on is a, is a shot clock. But I think it could definitely add to it. You know, when you watch AAU games, there's no need for a shot clock because kids <laughs> kids are playing aggressively and they're they're looking to score and they're looking to play fast. And I, I think that could also, you know, uh, for the on the women's side, maybe bring a little bit more um, excitement to the game at the high school level if it's speeded up a little bit more. Um, all right. So let's talk about uh, your recruiting a little bit. Obviously, you see a lot of high school games. You see you talked about styles and plays. Um, you know, and there's uh, there's still even even D3 NAIA, right? Uh, sometimes players look at it or even parents because they're not educated on how good a basketball it is at some of those at JUCOs at D3s as, oh, it's 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 a JUCO or, oh, it's NAIA. Um, you know, how do you approach the recruiting aspect to get a feel for that, right? Because when I was, you know, I know as I was, there was just some kids you could tell right away that, okay, well, this isn't going to work, right? They have their mindset on the big fish, right? So how do you go about getting a player's interest? So, you know, you're finding the right people for your program and not, you know, taking time on someone who maybe isn't going to come in the, in any ways. Well, I'll be honest, there's very few kids, unless they're from the Peoria area, that wake up and say, man, I want to go play junior college basketball. They, there's Whether they've heard from different people, um, you know, the stigma that, that goes with it when I was younger, you, know, you either weren't very smart if you went junior college or you'd been in some kind of trouble because nobody, nobody really um, wanted to be going to junior college. But then as it's changed, the landscape of, you know, um, money, you know, and going to, are you going to go to a division three school and pay a, a mound of tuition, or maybe you're not uh, fit for the division one level. Um, so junior college has its benefits there. The challenge that I have is just trying to, to educate people of, of the benefits of it. Um, the best thing that our kids can, can say is, man, I wish ICC was a four-year school. And that's how I know they've had a great experience um, with us. And so getting our kids to talk to um, talk to players because most of our kids had that stigma prior to coming to ICC. And once they make a visit, once they meet our staff um, they, and they get more educated, parents are some can be a tougher sell. Um, you know, you, you have the opportunity to, to win a national championship. Um, we talk to kids, you know, maybe if you think you have a, a division one um, dream, or if you have a division one dream, you can come here, hone your skills for one or two years, and we can help you try to reach that. Um, that level. So there's lots of benefits from it. Um, and as you said, there's really good basketball at every level. We have at the junior college level, there's every team has one kid that was overlooked, even if they did play AAU, because maybe somebody didn't think they were fast enough or could shoot well enough and didn't want to take the chance on them then. And then they come junior college and they average, you know, 15 points a game and shoot 40% from the three point line. And then, oh, then then everybody wants to talk to them. And so we can help, we can help market kids where they maybe weren't marketed before. Maybe, you know, the very first year I was here, there was a kid who had torn her ACL and lost her first, her, her senior year in high school. So she didn't get the looks and people, you know, a lot of bigger schools are nervous about injuries or, and things. So then you can come and, you know, show your worth here. So um, it's a great, going junior college is a great place to get experience 
exposure. Um, and you wouldn't think kids maybe necessarily need that with all the AAU tournaments. <laughs> um, you know, they, they're always getting, they're always being seen and now there's field level and there's all the, you know, all the, the, you know, kids are putting their highlight video on Twitter and that's definitely helping. Um, but at the end of the day, they've got to show it over time. And we can do that in a, for us in a normal year, a 30 game season and um, kids can really hone their skills. But a lot of times kids come to you and it's harder than they thought. Um, you know, they thought, well, I'm, I was the best player on my team. Well, everybody that, that we recruit is, was the best player on their team. And so they find that competition sometimes is, is really uh, stronger. And, and that's probably the biggest thing that our kids, when they leave after two years, they, they're advocates for junior college basketball. And, and so they can, they can be the ones to talk to, to other people, but we have kid people that, you know, we call that radio silence or, you know, you, you text somebody and they, they don't want to listen. And a lot of times it's harder to convince the parents and they're maybe a little bit, I don't want to say embarrassed, but they're, they're, they have a higher sense of their, their kid's ability. And I always tell our players as they're looking for four-year schools after ICC, you are the level that you're be re being recruited by. So if division one coaches are talking to you and, you know, emailing you, then you're most likely a division one athlete. If you think you're a division one athlete and only junior colleges or NAI schools are talking to you, you're most likely not a division one athlete. And it's, it's really difficult to, to hear that. But, um, you know, I always, I always tell our, our players too, to go where you're wanted. And, you know, you, we've all seen the stories of the kids that thought they were division one and they went, they went and they sat the bench and didn't have a, a great four-year experience or the kid that, that went to the level where they were, you know, probably the best fit. And that's, that's where they succeeded. And, you know, that's, that's trying to figure that out and be humbled a little bit in that process. And then, you know, to grow where you're planted, that, that to me is what, what it's all about. And so we get, we get our kids, um, you know, try to give them the opportunities and if they want to move on, they move on. And, and um, that's, that's what we market, but it's, it's also being happy where you are. And for me as a coach and in our program, we want to make the big time where we are. So being for me, I was a former division one athlete. So I know how a division one program runs and we try to run our, our program, even though it's the junior college level and we don't have the resources and the funding, we still try to do the things that division one programs are doing. So I think making, making it that experience. And then when kids leave there, then they realize, man, this was a pretty good, this is a really good place. We have a phenomenal facility at ICC. It's easily the nicest junior college facility in the nation. So I, we have a, a lot of benefits, but it's just trying to get kids to see that um, and find, find what's the right fit for them. You touched on it a little bit. Um, and I, that's, that's, that's a great, uh, not only, uh, information for people about JUCOs, but you know, even the educational value as well for, of a JUCO that that goes into it. But you touched on the kids and the adjustments they have to make when they come from high school. Um, you know, I tell my guys all the time, and when I was you know on the girls, I'm like, you guys got to realize when you go, there's this isn't you know wherever you go, there's study hall and there's weightlifting and there's film and um, so that's that's part of it. But what do you think the biggest adjustment for high school kids coming? not only to your program, but what, what the college level is. I read um, Kim Mulkey, who coaches, who's the Baylor coach, her son Kramer um, went to LSU to play baseball. And 
I remember reading an article about him that said he wanted that he was looking at maybe transferring after his his freshman year because it just didn't go the way he wanted it. And I remember reading Coach Mulkey's quote and it said that your first two years of college are the hardest um, because you're you're really trying to find yourself. You're finding a whole new friend group. Um, most kids are away further away from home. Um, our kids at ICC live in apartments, so they're having to also figure out how to cook um, or eat out more and those kinds of things. And so you're, it's the hardest time of college. And so when you come to a junior college, especially, you only get two years to, to kind of have those, have those experiences. And, you know, you really do find yourself, you find your friends. Um, and, and I think any kid, whether they go to a two-year school or a four-year school, they would tell you that those first two years. So for me as a coach, I feel like I can have the biggest impact on those kinds of kids because we have, it's a condensed time to, to help them grow. It's not four years. You only get two years and sometimes we get a transfer. So it's, then it's only one. Um, but it's, you have to, you have to learn to be disciplined. You have to, um, you know, like you said, the study hall times, the, the practice times, um, and it, it's harder. I think that's the biggest thing is it's harder than kids think. Um, but you also learn the most through that. You know, we learn the most through the adversity that we have. And um, so I, you know, I think that's the impact that, that your teammates can have and, and getting kids, the right kids into your program. You've got to do that because um, you don't have as, as long maybe as other four-year schools to, to impact them. So I think it's interesting. You know, we, we kind of talked a lot there about, you know, the difference for the student athlete. But I always find it interesting, you know, and Todd and I have, have done a little bit of college, a little bit of high school. So just for you personally, let's start off with what was the biggest difference for you from coaching high school to then going to coach college? Recruiting. <laughs> I can just sum it all up in one word. Mm -hmm. um, you know, basketball is basketball to me, whether, you know, whether whatever level you're coaching at, but um, just going and the time, obviously, you know, as high school coaches, you're, you're um, also teaching most of the time during the day, or unless you have a, um, you know, an insurance job or different things. And so you're, you're putting that time into your team. But when you're a college coach, it's, you're not just coaching basketball, you're managing um, their studies, you're managing their time as far as their workouts. Um, you're trying to, continually influence them. There, there's not as much influence from their parents because um, maybe they're not living at home anymore. And so they're responsible for getting themselves up, you know, for an eight o'clock class. And, you know, they don't have a parent that's, um, you know, waking them up and making sure they're up. And so definitely just the, you know, the high school level was, was more about basketball, although you are impacting, you know, kids in different situations, but, um, it, as in a college level where they're learning to become more independent, that's, that's more of a challenge with some of those other things, you know, there's during a regular basketball season, you know, when we play, we usually play on Wednesdays and Saturdays and I can find a game to go to on a Monday night, a Tuesday night, a Thursday night, a Friday night. So I can be gone six nights a week. If, if that's the case, if that's how our schedule is. And, and I don't want to take anything away from high school coaches because I know you're doing the same things with your own games and then you're going to scout games and then um, of course family time and so you know social time and things like that but um, just the time that, that it takes recruiting and then um, you know you're I can also go to a, a million AAU events in the summers 
um, or and there's no rules for junior college. Like we don't have a dead period like Division One, um, Division One schools do. So the whole world is open to a junior college coach. I we have kids on our team that have a 30 on their ACT, and we have kids that that may only have a 16. And so there's no academic requirements, which can be great because then the world is my oyster for recruiting. But then it's like sometimes the the switch never turns off because we can always we can always look at, oh yeah, you know, we've got one more scholarship left or, you know, yeah, we can, we can take a look at that kid. So that's probably been the, the biggest thing is just the, the world of junior college is, <laughs> um, is really, is really bigger. Um, and then I'm always recruiting because we lose half of a team every year. And so, um, the challenge therein becomes, they always say the most important kids you're, you're, coaching are, are the ones that you have, but then you also have to, to keep in touch with, you know, the recruits that have committed and signed, and then you're looking ahead for the next year. And so I know four-year coaches would say the same thing. They're, they're always recruiting, but at the junior college level, if you have one bad recruiting year, your half of your team is bad. <laughs> and uh, that's, that's not good. Um, you know, you guys know that the key to coaching is getting off the bus with the best players. And, you know, I, I had one of my assistant coaches my very first year I was at Parkland College in Champaign and he said that um, when you're recruiting that's really the truly the time when the coach wins or loses, you know, not that you don't win or lose as a coach when you're coaching the, the team, but when you're recruiting it's pretty much you against the other coach and so that's that's really the the battle that you have to win uh, up front and then if you've got that kid for two years then it's it's better <laughs> makes life easier so. I think that's the biggest thing is just the, the recruiting aspect of it. And, you know, at the high school level, you know, there are schools that, you know, you're, you're always looking for, for kids. You're looking in your feeder programs, um, trying to make sure that you've got a good junior high coach in there. Um, so that's, you know, it's probably the same level, but a little bit different scale. So first of all, I had to laugh when you said personal time during the season, I was thinking to myself, we have personal time during the season. <laughs> um, so Sun you, you you kind of hit on it, you know, about the difference between high school and the college level. You know, I'm just curious, what were things that you did when you went from high school to college that you tweaked, you know, whether it's X's and O's or dealing with people or anything like that? And, and what were things you kept the same? I know you said basketball is basketball is basketball, which it is, but I'm just curious, what, what were things you tweaked and kept the same? Um, well, so I played basketball at SIU in Carbondale, and I still run a lot of the sets that um, our coach ran back in 1990. So um, we, we still run a high-low and things like that. So being, being at the high school level, we still run a lot of the same out-of-bounds plays um, that I did at, at the high school level that I do in college. Um, I think the time that I get to spend with our team is has been really different, um, and we do a lot more community service. Um, that, that's one of the things that we didn't have time. I didn't have time to do much as a high school coach. Um, trying to get to know your players, you know, you, you have that time in high school where, you know, maybe they're in study halls or they're in different classes. The kids know each other a little bit um, better because they all understand where they're, they're all from the same areas. A lot of them have grown up together. So um, for me as a college coach, you know, we're getting kids from all different areas. Like this year, we have a kid from Minnesota and a kid from Kentucky. We've had a kid from Costa Rica. And so I think the, the, uh, trying to form chemistry is a little bit unique and different. So we do a lot of community service prior to this year, um, to try to get our kids 
more cohesive um, in that regard. But, you know, preseason workouts, we have a lot more time just because um, our kids are here to play. Or our kids are here for basketball only. I don't have to share them with the volleyball coach playing club and, and then track workouts and softball travel team and all those kinds of things. So that's been that's definitely been different. So we've been able to have different workout, you know, workout plans um, and, and the expectations. The commitment level has, you know, in the high, as high school coaches, you guys have your, your your kids are committed, but they're only maybe as committed during their during their season um, if they're playing multiple sports or even club teams. You know, they you you may have kids that miss a high school summer league game for their AAU weekend, and and you you do your planning around around what your kids' AAU schedules are. And so for me, that's one of the things that I've that I've enjoyed at the high school or at the college level is I don't have to share them. <laughs> I don't have to share them with anyone. So um, that's that's been a good thing for me. Todd and I had that very same conversation yesterday, to be honest. Um, so we're at obviously the after the timeout podcast. So we, you know, always like to add an element of a timeout. So I'm, I'm going to kind of ask a two-parter. So, um, you know, if the other team calls a timeout because you're doing something well, and obviously, you know, you're an extremely successful program. So I have a feeling that happens more often than not, you know, do you ever change for a possession? So let's say you're in man and they, they call a timeout to draw someone for man. Do you ever switch to zone for a possession or, you know, something offensively vice versa? If you're going well and they call a timeout to, to slow you down, do you change or do you just keep doing what you're doing? Um, I think it depends on the game or situation, but a lot of times if we're in, a, if we're in a full court man press and the other team calls a timeout, we will go to a different, to a zone press. Um, so we do do that a lot. Um, and then sometimes you think, well, if it's not broke, don't fix it, um, kind of a thing. And, um, I think the, the key is, is just trying to let your players play, um, and not overthink it, but yeah, we, you know, we want to, uh, we want to definitely try to mix it up if we can and make them have to maybe burn a second time out because whatever they called the first time didn't work. And so that's, that's something we do um, a lot. And, and again, sometimes you don't want to make your, your players overthink and you want them to, to play and make those decisions, but yeah, we will, we will definitely switch up some different things. And then on the flip side, you know, let's say something is not going your way in a game and you call a timeout, you know, do you ever, do you continue to be yourself or do you ever do anything where you're like, I really haven't practiced this too much with, with the team, but this is not working, but against this specific opponent, I think it might, do you ever do anything after a timeout that you may not have practiced a ton, but you think in that feel in that game may work? I've not had a lot of success with that um, at, at junior college level. Um, and my assistant coach, that's happened a couple of times this year. He's like, well, you know, we could, we could do this. And I'm like, coach, we've never practiced that. And you know, our, you know, our kids aren't very good when we, we do that. Um, so I'm, I'm probably less inclined to do that just with the, the kind of teams that we, we've had. There was a game earlier this year where I, we were kind of getting beat up by two players and, um, offensively. And I said, we maybe we should go to a triangle and two. And my assistant coach said, well, we've never practiced a triangle two. And I'm like, well, it's not that hard. You just have to chase two kids around and the other one's got to stand at a triangle. But we didn't, we ended up um, sticking with our man. We ended up winning the game. Um, but it's, that's not something that I've had. And maybe I need to do a better job of that in practice where I'm getting our kids to do something on the fly. Like, well, if we have to draw something up, 
they maybe can do that, but um, I'm always, I'm probably more of a, a believer of, you know, we want to put them in situations that they, they're comfortable in. Um, so we probably should maybe practice that before we try it, but it's, it's not to say I wouldn't, uh, sometimes you got to go for broke and that's just a feeling, um, feeling type of thing, but we, we definitely are better at practicing and having, <laughs> having gone through it before we just throw it into our kids. So um, we like to have a top five uh, in, of our first season uh, uh, podcast episodes here. Um, I guess it can kind of be, you know, and obviously it doesn't have to be exactly five, but we wanted to learn about some of the influences to you, um, people that have influenced you, coaches, uh, experiences. Obviously you talked about SIU uh, that helped you develop uh, your, like, your system concepts and, and your style of coaching. Because, I, I, you know, we always find that interesting. Um, you know, Coach Tracy, uh, when we talked to him last week, had talked about, you know, a, a couple coaches here and there. And I always find that interesting to learn where people were influenced and how they developed how they coach nowadays. Well, my high school coach was Hans Meyer, and I didn't always love him at the time because <laughs> uh, he was really strict. But um, I can, I still use some of the phrases that he's used, that he used when I was in high school and, and we were a big defensive team and um, I, you know, we, we practiced a lot of defense. So um, defensive concepts, I just remember him telling to telling us too, that, you know, your offense may not be there, but your defense, you know, you can play defense with effort every night. So that's something that stuck with me over a long time, period of time. And I can remember him telling me to um, a skill or a, calm sea never developed a skill, a skillful sailor. And I can remember that that's been 30 years that, that I heard that. So when we would have rough games, you know, we, we were supposed to be happy. I guess that, that we had those, those rough games. Um, when I went to college, my um, college coach was Cindy Scott and she was um, a phenomenal coach and a very fierce competitive lady. Um, she always, we were always prepared um, and she hated losing. And uh, you know, she always was, I do the same thing. So I was dressed up on game days um, in there. Actually, I hit a locker the other day because I was mad at something. She did that. <laughs> so I think I have a lot of things, a lot of characteristics of her, but she was always um, very well prepared and, and um, was had good collegial relationships with her peers. And so I've, I think I've gotten a lot of those characteristics from her, but she just was, she was a classy lady. So that's something that she was probably the first role model for me, the first female role model that I'd had because most of the time I'd had male coaches. And so uh, I still um, talk with her this day, kind of an interesting thing. Um, she and I went through breast cancer at the same time. And so she had reached out to me. I didn't know that she even, if she had had breast cancer and she was a couple months ahead of me. So when I, when she lost her hair, um, she called me and she's like, just shave your head. You know, it's liberating. You, it'll make you feel better. And she, I didn't want to listen to her at that time. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm not going to do that. Well, of course she was right. And so um, I ended up after I was done with all of my treatments, went out, she lives out in Boston now, went out and saw her for a weekend. And so it was amazing to me how just the sport through the sport of basketball, somebody that had impacted me so much when I was in my twenties was now here for me, you know, in my late forties. And um, that, that to me is just the beauty of the game that I wouldn't have ever, you know, thought would have, would have come into play. You know, I just thought she was my basketball coach at the time. So I know that happens to a lot of different people. And, um, you know, I've read a lot of Pat Summit books, um, you know, 
she was a, 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 another person that I could relate to. I grew up on a farm just like her. And, um, you know, she had a, her dad was pretty tough on her. And, and, you know, so I can relate to a lot of different things, you know, her competitive style. I went down and worked a basketball camp um, probably, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago. I took my niece down to University of Tennessee and um, met Pat Summit and got to work the camp and obviously didn't get a lot of interaction, but was you know, just being in her presence was really, truly amazing because she's just a, it was just a phenomenal uh, person. And then when I first got out of college, I was a, an assistant volleyball coach at Casey Westfield. It's down by Charleston. And I, I was a little bit burnt out from basketball, having played basketball and going hundred miles an hour for however long. And so my first year of teaching, I didn't do any coaching. And then I met the volleyball coach whose name was Marianne Larimer. And she said, Hey, I need an assistant coach. You're an athletic type of person. I need an assistant coach to, you know, hit balls to kids in practice and somebody that I can coach at on the bench or cuss at on the bench. And I said, well, yeah, I can do that. And so um, I didn't really know a ton about that volleyball. I had played in high school, but Casey had a good program. So um, I learned more about coaching in that assistant coaching role for volleyball. I learned how to run tournaments and how to do hospitality rooms and how to schedule uh, things and, and fun activities. I didn't, I couldn't tell you anything about base or serve, receive or whatever defense anymore, but I uh, learned a lot about handling parents. And so um, she was another, you know, she was all in um, for her team and we had a really successful program. So that was kind of, a, you know, the probably one of the, the best under, I guess, understudy experiences that I that I had because I was with with in that program for six years. And so it's you don't realize it at the time. You know, I, I look back at that and I I wasn't I remember her telling me at one time, you have to get to practice just because practice it starts at three o'clock doesn't mean that that's when you get there. Like you have to get here at two o'clock and get the balls out and do this and do that. And so um, I learned really a lot of things just about coaching through her as well. So uh, I'm very fortunate in, to, to have had those influences. You know, I, our high school team, we, we went to the lead eight um, or no sweet 16, my senior year, our college team, we went to two NCAA tournaments, our volleyball team that I was the assistant coach for um, we want, went to sweet 16s as well. And so having those people um, you know, that you're an understudy for uh, is just, I, I was so lucky to have all those people um, in my life. So just appreciative of that. And then now I'm um, probably, I just kind of lean on a couple other coaches. There's a Morton High School coach, Bob Becker. He's a really good friend of mine and I get his opinion on a lot of things. So I think the key is, and I've, I talk to our kids about this all the time, is surrounding yourself with good people. And that's the beauty of basketball. That's the beauty of coaches. You know, we're, we're all, we're not necessarily in it to win. We're all in it just to impact people. And I think, you know, I saw that through my cancer diagnosis of the, the coaching community, <clears throat> the basketball community, and how um, the people that I have known for the last 25 years, you know, came out to, to really help and support. And I think as coaches, that's a, a gift that, that each one of us have is we're always coaching. It doesn't matter if you're coaching basketball or you're coaching people uh, through adversity or just in their life. And then those friendships last forever. Coach, we really appreciate you coming on, taking your time this morning. Um, tre tremendous episode. We learned, we learned so much from your story, talking about your program and, and just your perspective on things. I, you know, I said, I think a lot of coaches, uh, you know, can, can take that 
and, and really put that in their coaching about, you know, yeah, we're playing, playing basketball, but there's also that human and, and people perspective in it. So we really appreciate you taking the time. Um, and, you know, hopefully we can uh, catch up down the road and it will next year when it's a little bit more normal year to do some X's and O's and, and break down your program a little bit. Thank you so much for taking the time with us today. Thank you very much. Have a great, have a great Sunday. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the After the Timeout podcast. For more information and upcoming episodes, follow us on Twitter at After the Timeout or subscribe to our podcast for upcoming episodes. For show inquiries, you can email us at afterthetimeout at gmail.com. You can find all of our episodes on Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Radio Public, Pocket Cast, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast by searching After the Timeout. Thank you for listening. Tune in next time for more basketball content on the court, off the court, and everything in between.